The man in that video is astrophysicist Eric Zerikson from a university in Sweden, and he does incredible research into the observable universe, and some of which you saw in this clip. In another study, Dr. Zerikson did, he combined all the data we have regarding what's currently known about planets, what we knew about the early universe, all the laws of physics. He ran it into a simulation and found in the simulation produced these findings that there are, according to this simulation, 700 quintillion planets in the universe. That is an extremely large number. That's a seven with 20 zeros behind it. And out of those 700 quintillion, there is only one that is like planet Earth. Or think about our sun. We saw a little snippet of how amazing it is, how incredible it is, yet how consistent and constant it is in our lives. In that video, it goes on to teach us that less than half of a percent of all the stars in the universe are like our sun. And this morning, we're going to take a look at a few more of those astonishing facts about our world and look at some possible explanations. How did the world get this way? How is there only one earth in all the planets? How is there only half a percent like this star and they're so close to each other? Is that just random chance or did God make it that way? Is the, earth, is the universe finely tuned because there's a being behind it? Or as one article puts it, it appears the earth was dealt a fairly lucky hand. This morning we're shifting our focus in our sermon series. Six reasons why I might lose my faith and six reasons why I won't. The previous six weeks we've been looking at object, commonly raised objections to the Christian faith. It's not all of them, but some of these are pretty common. We've talked about violence in the Old Testament. and Last week Skylar talked about suffering. How can there be suffering in the world if God is good and powerful? And if you haven't had a chance to look through those, I encourage you to do so. Whether you are personally working through some of those questions or maybe you know someone who is, I encourage you to go back and look at those. We, uh, we aren't smart enough or arrogant enough to think that we answered all of these questions in a perfectly wrapped present and you don't need to ask them anymore. We got it all figured out. But what we are confident is that these sermons will help you engage with people around you who may be asking similar questions. People looking for answers. And really what's more important than finding the right answer is finding a people, finding a community, finding friends that you can talk about these things, bring these questions and concerns up. So whether you know someone or maybe you are someone who's struggling with doubt and trying to get these questions answered, I want to encourage you to go back and look at those. But this, like I said, this morning we're shifting gears. Instead of six reasons why I might lose my faith, we're going to talk about six reasons why you won't lose your faith. Six compelling reasons to believe that there is a God. And this morning we're going to look at one argument called the fine-tuning argument. The universe is finely tuned. There's no doubt about it. We're going to look at that. It is finely tuned. What's behind that? We say it is God. The finely tuned argument for God says this, the observable universe showing the finely tuned complexity required for life, for life to exist, points to a designer. Now I'm going to do my best to explain some of these concepts this morning and not sound like your high school science teacher. If you are a high school science teacher, I apologize. 
You're probably better at this than me. But I'm going to give it a shot. This morning is Super Bowl Sunday, and everyone who loves Jesus is going to be gathering together to watch the Super Bowl. That's a prerequisite for being a Christian. Why is football enjoyable? Why are sports enjoyable? Why are performances enjoyable? Well, it's because of something that scientists call constants and quantities. Now, we don't talk about them often. But imagine if we turned on the Super Bowl tonight and they they come on and said, okay, tonight the Super Bowl is going to be played on a field that is 50 yards long. And tonight field goals are going to be worth eight points instead of three points. Well, that would throw us off. Why? Because football is played on a field that is 100 yards. Go Titans. All right. And because of that, we know what to expect, right? We, we know how the game is played. We can appreciate it more. But how much would it change if we just changed one little thing? These constants and quantities give us, let football be enjoyable. They let the things we enjoy because we know we can count on them. I would argue that the universe is set up in a similar, yet albeit more complex, manner. Now, these constants and qualities of the universe are really complicated mathematical formulas that make up the very structure of the universe. And what scientists have discovered is that all of these are so precise, they're dialed in to what they call a life-permitting range. That if any one of these constants were changed, life as we know it could not exist. There would be No stars, no energy, no planets, no chemistry. There would instead of everything, there would be nothing. Let's look at one of these just to kind of illustrate how complex our universe is. Let's start with gravity. Now gravity, the constant of gravity is called the gravitational constant. It's represented by the letter G. It's the super complicated formula that we're not going to get into. But it is a constant. We can know what it's going to be. If that, if the gravitational constant were to be changed by one part in 10 to the 60th power, we would not exist. Now, let me just illustrate maybe what that means. If you're under the age, well, if you're under the age of 40, maybe you don't remember this, but back in the day, maybe at your grandparents' house, if you wanted to turn the heat up, there was this thing called a dial, all right? And you had to turn it, and on that dial, there were a hundred numbers, right? Not that it could ever really get that high, but you would turn it to whatever temperature you wanted it to be. There'd be a hundred little increments on there. If you put the gravitational constant on a dial, there would be 10 to the 60th increments. That number kind of really doesn't make sense, but think about it this way. There are 10 to the 14th power cells in your body. There is 10 to the 20th power seconds that have ticked off since the universe began. So if you were to make a dial with a gravitational constant on it, there would be a whole lot of little tiny dials on it. More dials than there have been seconds in the universe. Now, if you were just to change one of those, if you were to turn it up one one little tiny increment, the universe would have just kept expanding. It would have just kept going and there would have been no stars. If you turn it down one 10 to the 60th power increment, then 
The universe would have crashed back in on itself. There would be no life, no planets. That's how fine-tuned it is. And what if I told you there are some that are even more finely tuned than gravity? Take, for example, the expansion rate of the universe. It's called the cosmological constant. It is 10 to the 120th constants. Increments, sorry. If you're keeping score at home, that's double the gravitational constant. If it was just turned 1 to the 10 to the 120th power, the universe would not exist. All right, here's the last one. There are many more. There's 26 of these. If the mass and energy of the early universe, it consisted of neutrinos, photons, atoms, and dark matter. If these were not evenly distributed to the precision of 1 part 10 to the 10th to the 123rd power, the universe would not be able to host life. So if you took all four of those things and you just changed one part, that gigantic formula, no life, no existence. And it's even more finely tuned than that when you realize that not only do all these numbers have to be within a certain range, but they have to have specific alignments with one another. As I mentioned, there was 26 of them. So imagine you walked into a a big giant warehouse and there were 26 roulette tables. And we were to say, okay, for you to win the prize tonight or for there to be life, we're going to spin all of these, 26 of them, and wheel one, the number has to land between 19 and 21, and wheel 15 has to land between 89 and 92, and wheel... Five has to land between one and four. And then you spin all of them and, okay, if they all land within those ranges, you win. It's more complicated than that. Not only do they have to be in those ranges, but they actually have to interact with one another. So what would really have to happen is you'd have to say, okay, wheel number three, that number that spins and comes up has to be half the square root of the number 17, of whatever wheel number 17's number is. And then whatever number lands on wheel six, it's got to be double whatever the number that lands on wheel three is. Incredibly complicated and complex. It's almost too much to put our heads around. It seems so finely tuned that even atheists admit it. Martin Rees, listen to his uh, title. He is the Astronomer Royal of Great Britain. He's a fellow of Trinity College and emeritus professor of cosmology and astrophysics at the University of Cambridge. Now, that's a pretty awesome email signature. He said this, wherever physics, physicists look, they see examples of fine-tuning. Stephen Hawking wrote the following, the remarkable fact is that the values of these numbers seem to have been finely adjusted to make possible the development of life. Check out this email signature for uh, David uh, Deutsch. Physicist at the University of Oxford and is a visiting professor in the Department of Atomic and Laser Physics at the Center of Quantum Computation in the Clarendon Laboratory of the University of Oxford. He writes this, If anyone claims not to be surprised by the special features the universe has, he is hiding his head in the sand because I guess only guys ask this question. But anyway, he is hiding his head in the sand. These specific features are surprising and unlikely. 
So even an atheist would say, yeah, this, this stuff is pretty complex and pretty incredible that we have a universe that we have. What's the best explanation for that? Well, I believe, not me, but many people believe there are three possible answers for that. One is necessity. Two is chance. Three is design. We, to choose one of the, what's the answer behind all these incredible numbers? Now, someone who's arguing for necessity, this is a more philosophical one, and they might say this. Well, of course, when we look at it, we think it's finely tuned because we're here to observe it. We don't have any idea what other life might have come about if the things were changed. The best metaphor, this is the one that even I looked at Matt and was like, do you get this? And he was like, I think I get it. Um, The best metaphor I have for this that I found was, imagine that you are a professional rat catcher. That's your job. And you have a trap and it's six inches long. For 50 years, you catch rats in a trap that's six inches long. Someone comes to you and says, hey, how big is a rat? You say, well, rats don't get any bigger than six inches. That's your life. That's your world. That's what you've observed. You've been doing this all these years. You've used this trap. You've caught rats for 50 years. There must not be any rats bigger than this. That's who someone who argues for necessity. They would say, well, we shouldn't be surprised because we're here. The second answer to this question is the one that's the most popular among some of the scientists that we mentioned earlier, Reese, Hawking, and Deutsch. Their answer is that the universe is finely tuned. All these numbers are dialed in by chance. It's not necessity because there could be a world in which no life formed and there's no designer. The universe that we have, the one that we exist, the one that we exist in is here by pure chance. Now, how does someone look at these numbers, these facts and say, well, it's just chance? Well, they explain it. They're not just saying, well. They explain it with something called the multiverse, right? This is a theoretical approach to the world around us called the multiverse. Now, this answer says that, well, we live in a universe and there are multiple universes out there. And they go on for infinity. So, of course, eventually there would be one that would support life. Now, the tricky part about this is that, one, there's no evidence that the multiverse exists. It can't be detected. It can't be observed. It can't be measured. It can't be proved. It's simply a matter of faith. But also, it can't be proved. It still doesn't explain how the multiverse got here. This is why this branch of science is called metaphysics, because it deals more with philosophy than empirical science. So you might ask one of these scientists, okay, explain the multiverse to me. How are there multiple universes? How does this come about? Well, they would say, well, there's a couple of hypotheses. One is called the vacuum fluctuation model. Basically, our universe is just one out of many infinite numbers generated by quantum fluctuations in a pre-existing superspace. Now, the best way they can explain the superspace, now... I had to read all this this week. This was, this was a hard week of reading. I'm not a science guy. So I had to read a lot, look up a lot of words. Is that basically there was this pre-existing ocean of energy. 
And as this energy slammed into each other, imagine going out to the ocean, filling it with soap, and every time the waves would crash together, little bubbles pop up, right? That's basically what happened. The super space energy slammed together, and universes just keep popping out and popping out and popping out. So eventually, there had to be one that had life. Or there's another one called the oscillating Big Bang hypothesis, which states that eventually our universe is going to stop expanding and it's going to collapse back in on itself. And when all that matter slams together, it's going to produce another Big Bang. And then that one's going to grow and then slam. And then for all eternity, it's just been slamming back together. Big Bang collapsed, Big Bang collapsed. And eventually one popped out and here we are. Now to me, this one... As I said, there's no way to measure this. There's no way to observe this. This, I think, takes even more faith than believing in some logical conclusions to the realities of fine-tuning. To better understand maybe just how bizarre this theory sounds, the multiverse hypothesis, imagine going to a museum one day and you walk in the doors and you see a complete dinosaur skeleton. You're standing there, you're looking at it, you're noticing all the, the way the bones fit together. You see the mouth, the jaw, you see all this stuff, you're just amazed by it. You lean over to the person who's standing there next to you and you say, man, wouldn't it have been fun to see a dinosaur? Wouldn't that have been pretty cool to observe? And the person looks back at you and says, well, truth be told, dinosaurs are just something that people made up. There's, there were never any dinosaurs. It's all a hoax. There's zero evidence for their existence. I imagine you might be perplexed. You might say something along the lines of, well, look at these bones, right? We know that when animals die, they leave fossils. And look at how all these bones fit together. These look like bones from other animals that, that they're much bigger, but similar structure. A rib bone's a rib bone. We see how they kind of fit together. Isn't this prove that dinosaurs exist. And that person might say, well, have you ever seen a dinosaur? No human has ever seen a dinosaur. So how do you know? So you might say, okay, well, tell me, what do you think? How do you think dinosaur bones got here? And they might look at you and say, well, out back, there's a dinosaur bone producing field. And every once in a while, these bones just randomly pop up in the field. There's no rhyme or reason. We just kind of put them together because we want there to be dinosaurs. And, but really, these bones just randomly appear out of thin air in a field in the back. Now, we would look at that person really strange, right? We would say, but all the evidence seems to point that there were dinosaurs. That this isn't just random chance. That these are things that existed before we could see them. So then what's the third answer to the complexity of our universe? So the fact that all these formulas fit in together and create a universe where people can live and intelligent life can grow. We believe, I believe, that the best answer, the most logical answer is that someone designed it this way. And for someone to design it this way, they need to be incredibly intelligent and incredibly powerful, and that person must be God. Here's one last illustration for today, maybe to help us see 
how this isn't just, well, Christians just need to believe this. This is maybe the Bible. No, this is empirical stuff. This is just logic. This is just facts that we can look at and say, doesn't this, the most logical explanation for this point to a creator? Let's say for a moment your sister calls you and wants to go hiking. Or maybe it's a friend, whatever you got. Say, hey, meet me at the spot. Let's go hiking. And you get stuck in traffic. So you say, hey, I'm going to be a little late. Why don't you go on up ahead of me? I'll I'll meet you about an hour in. Maybe I've got a little place that y'all like to meet. You go ahead, hike on ahead. I'll catch up with you. You get there, you get to the trail, you start hiking up ahead. You, You come under this cliff as you're following the trail and you look over to your left and there's this rock formation. It catches your eye. You look down at it and it says, welcome to the mountains. Fill in your name, whatever, Jeremy, whatever your name is. What would be the most logical evident, the most logical answer for how those rocks got there? Would you look at them and simply say, how incredible that all these rocks managed to fall off this cliff and line up perfectly in a language that I can understand welcoming me to these mountains? No. The most logical answer is the person who went before me put them here, arrange them in such a way that I would be able to notice them, that I would be able to read and understand what the message is. That's the most logical argument. What's the most logical argument for how the play Hamlet got here? Well, the most logical argument is somebody wrote it. Now multiply that out. It's the most logical explanation for how we have life in a universe that seems so fine-tuned that it melts our brains. I think the most logical example, the most logical answer for that is a designer. So what does this mean for Monday, right? This is, if you enjoy these kind of arguments, fun to have, good to talk about, good to read about. So what does this mean for Monday? I think there's two things we can discern about God from our finely tuned universe. And I think there's one thing we can take away as a response to that. First is that God is real. I think sometimes we, as Christians, take that for granted. When we look at the evidence, it seems to take more faith to believe in a multiverse than to believe that there is a being out there who is powerful enough to put this together. It seems overwhelming that the evidence points to a designer, that God is real. This is why scientists in those same fields accredit these same things to God. Jack Collins is the man who pioneered genome research. The stuff he's written about DNA is incredible. He is a Christian. He believes God put these things in place. And I just, I mean, I scratched the surface about how incredibly complex and unusual the world is. I didn't even get into some of the facts about water. Yes, I got to read about water this week. It's a real thrilling week. But water is one of the most unique substances in the entire universe. Water is one of the only substances that, when it gets cold, 
it expands, right? If you put a can in the Coke can in the freezer, you put a water bottle in the freezer, eventually it busts out of that. Every other element, when it gets cold, it contracts, it gets smaller. We cannot explain why water does that. But we know that because it does that, it floats. And because it floats, it insulates all the water underneath it from freezing. And if it acted like every other element, it would sink and the water would freeze. God is real. I didn't talk about the complexity of DNA, which almost everyone says this appears to be a language. And only creatures who think and only creatures who communicate come up with complex language. So who put this complex language into DNA? God, a being of superior intelligence that's almost too much for our brains to comprehend. In the eighth Psalm, it says it this way. Now, the psalmist didn't have access to technology that we have, right? We weren't any smarter than him. We just didn't have the technology to observe these things. But even he, with the limited access to technology that he had, understood, I think, this principle. Psalm 81 says this, You have set your glory above the heavens. The psalmist look out, looked out, saw the earth, saw the world, saw stars. He didn't know what they were. He couldn't figure out what they were. He saw all these things and thought, there must be something greater out there. He knew that there is something even greater than the complexities of DNA. The second thing we can know about God is that he is loving. Think about this. Why would God create such a complex creation? God is God. We could have had any other universe. He could have made it super simple, easy to understand. Yet God made one with layers and layers of beautiful complexity. Why? I think it's because he is good and he loves us. He made an incredible planet, incredible things like water, gravity, DNA, because he loves you. Because he wants to be in relationship with you. He created you the most amazing house anyone has ever made. So that he can be in relationship and know you. I think about this. I think about my wife and our, my daughters. My wife loves our girls so much. She blows out birthdays and holidays. She does such a good job of making them, my girls feel loved and cared for. She goes out of her way. I remember Nora's fourth birthday party. We were down in Texas. It was at the beginning of COVID, so we couldn't really celebrate like we wanted to. What did my wife do? My girls love Moana. So she called, she got on Facebook, found a Moana impersonator who lived in Hawaii, called her, got her to Zoom call and act like she was Moana. It was pretty cool. But then my, my wife drove all around Corpus Christi, bringing little gift bags to all the kids who couldn't be at the party and then had them Zoom into the party so that they could all watch it. Now, why did my wife do all that? Because she loves my daughter. She loves our daughter. She wants our daughter to feel special. Part of the reason God created this universe is for you to feel loved and cared for, to be known. 
Whenever I think about this, I think about one of my favorite people, Jaron Bars. He's a professor at Covenant. And I almost hesitate to call him a professor because that kind of in your head, you think, oh, he's some super smart guy. And he is a super smart guy. But I, he's, to me, beyond professor. He's, uh, I call him, I've said he's the most human human I've ever met in my life. And he told us a story once about the time he, he had gone off to college and he thought college was going to give him all the answers, right? If those were the experts are, I'm going to get to college. They're going to tell me all the problems with life. They're going to explain everything and I'm going to be much happier and I'm going to know all the stuff. He said he got to college and he learned really quick that they didn't know the answers. They didn't have all the answers. So one day he was like, well, then what's the point of living? What's the point of going on? So he drove out or he rode a bus out to the countryside, took himself up on a cliff and was going to throw himself off. And he said he got out there and he looked out and it was the dead of winter, snow, no leaves on trees, dead trees everywhere. And this thought hit him. He said, this is so beautiful. <laughs> this is so incredible. There has to be someone behind all this. He got back on the bus, went back to his dorm, and then a couple hours later, one of the guys in his hall comes, knocks on his door, says, hey, do you want to come do a Bible study with us? We're going to study the book of Ecclesiastes. And over the course of the next two years, he ended up giving his life to the Lord. I think about that when I read Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4. Look at what he continues to write. When I look at the heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon, the stars that you have established. All those crazy complicated formulas. The fact that the earth is just a perfect distance away from the sun. The sun is a constant. It's not too bright. It's not too dim. When I look at all of these things, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? Mortals that you care for them. The psalmist is overwhelmed by the majesty of the universe and he thinks to himself how much does God love me that a God who would do all of this wants to know me and love me God is good he designed a place for all of us so how do we respond well we respond with what the Bible calls worship Look at the end of the psalm. The end of Psalm 8 says this. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's what worship is. That is worship. Ascribing to God his worthiness. And we have a sense of doing this kind of hardwired into our DNA, right? Think about, I hate to use a sports analogy again, but think about tonight. Somebody's going to do something incredible. It's going to be a great play. Or imagine you go to a musical, you go to some kind of performance, you watch a great movie, and it kind of leaves you speechless. They really hit the note. They do all this. So how do we respond? Well, we clap. We cheer. We get excited. No one tells us to do those things, right? I remember, you know, when I watched football with my dad when I was a little kid, my dad didn't, when the first time I saw a touchdown, he didn't go, Okay, son, now here's the time when you stand up. All right, now, now put your hands together. Okay, yeah. All right, no, right? It just erupts out of you. That's what worship is. So as we end, let's do this. Let's all stand to our feet. We're going to sing a song. So you can go ahead and stand. 
And I'm going to read all of Psalm 8 to us. So, so that's what i like for you to do. If, if it helps to close your eyes, close your eyes. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know how your week was. Some of you, I'm sure, are coming in here with a praise on your lips. God's done incredible, amazing things. Maybe some of you are coming in doubting and struggling. Listen to what the psalmist writes. Listen to this world that God has created for us. This is what he says. He says, O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? Mortals that you care for them. Yet you have made them a little lower than God. You have crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the work of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep, and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the path of the sea. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Father, we come to you this morning. What is rooftop that you are mindful of us? Lord, there's seven billion people in the world. We are 200 of those 7 billion people. We are on one planet of 700 quintillion. Yet your scripture teaches us that you care for us. So Lord, we're going to sing a song and I pray that you would pour your spirit out upon us, Lord, that you would show us just how incredible you are, just how powerful and amazing you are, yet also remind us just how loving you are, how much you care for us. Lord, our struggle sometimes can feel so small so tiny compared to galaxies and universes and black holes and dark matter yet you care for us you care for them you give us the bible says you crown us with glory and honor so these next few moments lord let us sing let us sing to you jesus name we ask it amen